Captain Rayford Steele's 747 was on autopilot over the Atlantic en route to London Heathrow Airport when he got up to stretch. As he opened the cockpit door, the senior flight attendant pulled him into the galleyway. Her fingers were like talons on his forearm and her body uh, shuddered. Her knees buckled and she tried to speak. People are missing, she managed to whisper. She was sobbing now. A whole bunch of people, just gone. Hattie is, this is a big plane. They're, they've obviously wandered into the lab or, I've been everywhere. I'm telling you, dozens of people are missing. All over the plane, people have disappeared. It's a joke. They're hiding, trying to, Ray, their shoes, their socks, their clothes, everything was left behind. These people are gone. He strode quickly to the stairway. When he reached the lower level, he nearly panicked. This was no joke, no dream. Something was terribly wrong, and there was no place to run. Nothing had prepared him for this. First one, then another cried out when they realized their seatmates were missing, but their clothes were still there. They cried, they screamed, they leaped from their seats. He raced up the stairs. Rayford had told Hattie he didn't know what was happening any more than she did. But the terrifying truth was he knew all too well. His wife had been right about Christ's return. He and most of his passengers had been left behind. Hattie was speaking to one of the passengers. You know we lost older people, but not all of them. And we lost several middle-aged people, but not all of them. And we lost several people your age and my age, but not all of them. We even lost some teenagers. He stared at her. What was she driving at? Sir, we lost every child and every baby on the plane. They finally made it back to the airport and Rayford went to the pilot's lounge. A TV monitor above him broadcast images of chaos. From around the globe came wailing mothers, stoic families, reports of death and destruction. Dozens of stories, including eyewitnesses who had been with loved ones and friends when they disappeared before their eyes. Most shocking to Rayford was a woman in labor, about to go into the delivery room, who was suddenly barren. Doctors delivered the placenta. Her husband had caught the disappearance of the fetus on tape. He videotaped her belly and her sweaty face. Then came the scream and the dropping of the camera, terrified voices, running nurses, and the doctor. CNN reran the footage in a super slow motion, showing the woman going from very pregnant to a nearly flat stomach as if she had instantaneously delivered. Watch this again, the, news, in, the newsman intoned, and keep your eyes on the left edge of your screen, where a nurse appears to be reading a printout from the fetal heart monitor. There, see? The action on the monitor stopped as the pregnant woman's st uh, stomach deflated. The nurse's uniform seems to still be standing as if an invisible person is wearing it. She's gone. Half a second later, watch. The tape moved ahead and stopped. The uniform, stockings, and all are in a pile on top of her shoes. Local television stations from around the world reported bizarre occurrences, especially in time zones where the event had happened during the day or early evening. CNN showed via satellite the video of a groom disappearing while slipping the ring onto his bride's finger. A funeral home in Australia reported that nearly every mourner disappeared from one memorial service, including the corpse. Wow. What an inconceivable event. When history finally comes to an end, other than the resurrection of Christ, there will simply have never been any event as incredible as Christ raising countless dead bodies to new life, catching hundreds of millions of living saints away, and taking every child with him to their eternal home. The thought completely boggles the mind. No wonder it's so difficult to conceive of the pre-trib rapture actually happening. No wonder so many, including Christians, just can't come to believe that this event will actually ever happen. Now let me remind you again, I'm not advocating for the pre-trib view. Rather, I'm teaching through the three views that have been around the church for centuries. So last week, we began working through the strengths of the pre-trib rapture view. And let's just, again, make sure we're all on the same 
page and you have this available in your notes. Um, this is the ascension when Christ went up and the promise to return. Here's the present at some time in the future. If the pre-trib rapture view is correct, before the signing of the peace treaty, which begins the seven-year tribulation, the rapture will happen. That obviously is the Tim LaHaye uh, strong advocacy from the whole Left Behind series is based upon that pre-trib rapture. It happens before the tribulation. And then the seven years at the midpoint, you have the mid-trib rapture. Uh, we'll look a bit at that tonight. Uh, and then the post-trib rapture, where at the end, at the second coming, before he comes, wins the Battle of Armageddon and sets up his thousand-year reign, Christ comes in a very complex event where first he raptures the church up into the air and then comes back with the church and his angels and, and wins the Battle of Armageddon. Um, so strength number one that we worked on last week was this. Strength number one, again, working on the strengths right now of the pre-trib rapture view, Strength number one, it resolves, here's your blank, it resolves the dramatic differences between the events described in the rapture passages and the second coming passages. As we went through the major texts that are clearly related to the second coming and those that describe the rapture, we did indeed find dramatic differences. And this is important to those who believe the pre-trib rapture timing because if the second coming and the rapture were the same event, then the only viable view is the post-trib view. But since these events are so clearly different, it opens up the possibility that the pre-trib view could be right. And now we're ready for strength number two, the second strength of the pre-trib rapture that we'll work on tonight. Ready? Here's your blanks. The pre-trib view is supported by the best revelation picture of the rapture and makes perfect sense of the presence of the voice and the trumpet in the rapture passages. Look at that sentence now that you've filled it in. The pre-trib rapture view is supported by the best revelation picture of the rapture and makes perfect sense of the presence of the voice and the trumpet in the rapture passages. So first, let's do a quick review from 1 Thessalonians 4. All the text tonight, as usual, will be in your notes so it makes it easy to get through. Look at this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cloud, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, this is one of the major biblical descriptions of the rapture. And look at what 1 Thessalonians 4 describes. Here's your blanks. Look at this. It describes, number one, a shout. Number two, a trumpet. Number three, believers are caught up. And number four, they meet the Lord in the air. Shout, trumpet, caught up with the Lord in heaven. That's the rapture. Now, remember to believe the rapture you don't have to believe any specific timing view when it occurs with reference to the tribulation. But the event itself is explicitly biblical, and we know a lot about the sequence of events when Christ comes for his church. So now we're going to hone in on four specific aspects of the rapture sequence that we learned two times ago in Thursology number 80. If you haven't seen that one, go back, because we go through the entire 14 steps that the, that the scripture tells us. But look at number three from that list. The Lord will shout a loud command as he descends. Number four, we will hear the voice of the archangel. Number five, we will hear the trumpet call of God. And number nine, the living saints will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now that we've reviewed the sequence, we're going to compare this to the descriptions of each of the timing views in the book of Revelation. If you want to really evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of the rapture views, this is the kind of comparison between biblical texts that you have to learn to do. And to do this, we'll take two aspects of the rapture and do a deep dive assessment of the timing of the rapture events. So let's begin with an example of an approach to unpacking the rapture. Here's your blanks, ready? The loud voice and the trumpet 
have very specific biblical meanings and usages that can help us evaluate the three rapture timing views. The loud voice and the trumpet have very specific biblical meanings and usages that can help us evaluate the three timing rapture, rapture timing views. So let's begin with the meaning and the purpose of the shout of the Lord. Ready? Here's your blank. Write it in. Looking uh, at other texts where this happens. Ready? The shout at Bethany. The shout at Bethany. This occurs after Lazarus has died. And Jesus has come to his house. And look at this from John chapter 11. When he, Jesus, had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So that's the shout at Bethany. Next, the shout at Calvary. Ready? We pick up the text where Jesus is on the cross in Matthew 27. Look at the text. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. There's the shout from Jesus. And yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were spilt. Now look at this. This is fairly subtle, but most people haven't seen this before when you ask them. But look at this. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Isn't that amazing? That's the shout at Calvary. And ready next, the shout at the rapture. The shout at the rapture. Now, we pick up a passage we're becoming very familiar with, right, from that fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Look at it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. So notice there's the shout again. With the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And now we're in a position to understand something that Jesus said in John <clears throat> chapter 5. Look at this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Notice that. When Jesus shouts, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. So this series of passages gives us a key concept. Here's your blanks, write them in. When the Lord shouts with a loud voice, when the Lord shouts with a loud voice, it literally raises the dead at Bethany, at Calvary, and at the future rapture. So we've looked at the meaning and the purpose of the shout of the Lord. And now let's look at the meaning and the purpose of the trumpet. So in the Old Testament, the trumpet was used primarily for two purposes. Look at this from Numbers chapter 10. When you go to war, notice that, when you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. And another one from Numbers 31, Moses said to them, a thousand uh, uh, from each tribe to the war. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to war with them. And the trumpets for the alarm were in his hand. So here's your blanks there. I realize I flipped the order, but here it is for you. The purpose number one, the trumpet is a call to battle. That's purpose number one. And next let's look at the second purpose of the trumpet scriptures. Look at this from 2 Chronicles chapter 5. In unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to, ready, to praise and glorify the Lord, then they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and they, they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. And from chapter 29 in 2 Chronicles, look at this. The whole assembly worshipped. The singers also sang and the trumpets sounded. So the first purpose of trumpets is the call to war. Ready? Here's the second purpose. The trumpet is a call to worship. A call to war or a call to worship. And with this background, 
Let's now look at the rapture. What's the purpose of the voice of the Lord in the rapture? Well, that's really easy. Write it in. Here's your blank. To raise the dead. Just like at Bethany and Calvary, so it will be at the rapture. The voice of the Lord in the rapture will raise the dead. And what's the purpose of the trumpet at the rapture? It's calling the church to worship in heaven. Calling the church to worship in heaven. Catching up, and we'll actually see that in Revelation tonight. And now that we've established an understanding of the shout and the trumpet, because remember that flows directly out of the rapture passages, let's work now um, through how well each of the three classic rapture views holds up. And the way we'll do this is by applying a technique that many theologians use to put basically a numeric score. It's, it's not entirely objective, but it's a way to, to, um, to balance and to look and to evaluate. Um, and they look at how well they match the three different views to the details of the biblical text. And using this approach, we'll build a grid and see how the events hold up to scrutiny. So we'll start by evaluating the actual rapture itself so we see the gold standard, what we know the rapture looks like. Ready? Here it is. Again, you're familiar with this verse from 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, notice, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be, there's the fourth, uh, third part, right? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Fourth, to, to be with the Lord, to meet the Lord in the air. Um, and so here's the the scoring method that we'll use. I've got it written in there on that line. Notice, if, if now we're going to look at the Revelation texts, which are supposedly where the three rapture views uh, proponents say that, that it happens in Revelation. And if there's a match between this, the, the rapture event, uh, if there's no match at all, you get zero points. That view gets zero points. If it's a possible or uh, an inferred or a decent but not great match, you get one point. And if it's a good match between the two texts, uh, then you, you get a two. Um, okay, so um, we'll do this. Uh, you have this in your notes. And we're going to work through each of the three uh, with this. And so you ready? Uh, with the rapture, we're now setting the gold standard again. Is there a voice? Yes. And I better keep my stuff with me here just to make sure I don't... Uh, mess myself up. And ready? It is the Lord's voice. So it's the Lord's voice, specifically. So that gets you a two, obviously, because it is the rapture. We just read it out of 1 Thessalonians. What is the purpose of the voice? Resurrection. Resurrection. That's the purpose of the voice. And that gets you a two. Again, we're setting the gold standard. So all of these are twos, obviously, for the rapture description itself. Um, and so is there a trumpet? Yes, there's a trumpet. And two points if you get a perfect trumpet on the, on the comparisons. And what's the purpose of the trumpet? The purpose is worship. Not war, but worship. And if your view has a picture that shows a trumpet calling to worship, then you get a two. And who are the players? And this one is easy. This is the church. This is obviously the, one of the epistles, 1 Thessalonians uh, in chapter 4. And Paul is saying this is what's going to happen to the believers, the church, the followers in Christ. So the rapture obviously is a perfect 10 out of 10 because that is um, the perfect description of the rapture. And now, let's look at the Revelation passages and match up each of the views. We'll begin with the post-trib view. In Revelation chapter 19, according to the post-trib proponents, the rapture happens simultaneous with the second coming. We worked through that in the last several weeks. And in this chapter, do we hear the voice of the Lord? No. But we do hear a loud voice. Look at the text. Revelation 19, 16, and 17, and on... His robe and on his thigh was a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So here's the second coming of Christ. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice. Okay, so you got that? There is a loud voice there at that time saying to all the birds, 
which fly in midheaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the commanders and the flesh of the mighty men. Yuck. So, whose voice do we hear? An angel's voice. And what's the purpose of this loud voice? You ready? It's calling the birds to eat the flesh of the Antichrist's army. So this voice certainly doesn't lead to a resurrection. Rather, it leads to the death of those who have come against Israel and against the Lord. So that's the voice in the post-trib. How about the trumpet? Is there a trumpet blown at this point? Well, it turns out not in Revelation chapter 19, but there is a parallel part of Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse at the end of the tribulation, at the second coming, and look what Christ says there. So we're linking these two together, and notice what it says in Matthew 24. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with, ready, look at this, with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four ends, four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So, in the context of Matthew chapter 24, what's going on? Is the context worship, or is it that of war? Well, this is at the end of the tribulation, so it's occurring smack in the middle of the battle of Armageddon, and the greatest war of all time. So, this trumpet definitely occurs in the midst of war. At best, one might uh, infer that the elect are being gathered by the angel and they might be called to worship, but there's no evidence of this. So, let's score the post-trib rapture on this. Again, this is just an example of the many ways uh, that you can go after uh, the strengths and the weaknesses of the various views. So, notice, is there a voice? Yes, it's an angel's voice, right? An angel's voice. So, that it's not the Lord's voice. So we'll give that a one, uh, one point, all right? So it's so-so, but not, but not great. Um, and what now is the purpose? The purpose is the resurrection. And we'll see that in some of the texts. The elect who have been dead uh, certainly have, uh, are, are being called, okay? Um, and uh, the, uh, excuse, I'm sorry. I blew this. That's not right. There is no resurrection that's shown there. It only says gather the living elect. So it is actually death that happens there. Death. Sorry if you already filled that in. have to scratch it out. So you get a zero there. Okay. Next, is there a trumpet? Yes. Remember we matched it to Matthew 24. And so that you get a, you get a good two. Great timing and right there at the end. And what's the purpose? The purpose here is for war. And remember we said maybe you could infer that the elect getting called together uh, by, the, uh, by the trumpet for the, by the angel uh, with the trumpet, that at least the elect may be being called to worship. So we'll, we'll put both there, even though it's in the midst of Armageddon. So we'll give them a point uh, there. And then who are the players? Well, the reality is, um, it's certainly the tribulation saints. But notice, these tribulation saints, um, they are only Christians, they're only the church, if the post-trib view is right. But if the post-trib view isn't correct, these are people who aren't part of the church because it's already been taken out, but they obviously have come to believe in Christ and have refused the mark of the beast and so forth. So it's the tribulation saints, or maybe if the post-trib rapture is correct, maybe it's the church. So here we'll give that <clears throat> a one. So on the post-trib view, look at this. For the voice you get one, because it's decent, it's the angel but not the Lord. For the purpose, it's not resurrection, so you get a zero. For the trumpet, you get two. For the purpose, you get a one. Maybe it's for worship, and then maybe part of the church, so you get five. The post-trib view gets a five. Okay, let's score the mid-trib rapture view now. And in the book of Revelation, the tribulation begins 
in chapter 6, and it ends in chapter 19. You're probably familiar with that by now. And in the middle of the tribulation, it occurs in chapters 13, 11 through 13. So let's look at the events that the proponents of the mid-trib rapture say is the picture of the rapture in Revelation. Look at the text here, very fascinating text. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. So notice, that's the first three and a half years. So it's at the midpoint. These have the power to shut up the sky and, to, and the rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying and they have power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. So look at this, the witnesses are killed and their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, of course, where, they, uh, where also the Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. Notice this. Until, uh, and it will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. And they stood on their feet and they heard a loud voice, isn't that fascinating, from heaven saying, come up here. Then they went up into heaven. So is there a voice? Yes. And whose voice is it? It's not specified here. And what's the purpose of the voice? Resurrection. You see it. They're killed and then they're raised to new life. And who's involved? Well, it's the two witnesses. And most scholars believe, actually, that they're from among the 144,000, the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They don't, uh, lots of, of, of uh, scholars don't link these witnesses to the church at all. Um, and what about a trumpet? So there's definitely a voice uh, that leads to a resurrection, but we don't know if it's the Lord's or an angel's voice. Uh, but the trumpet, it turns out that this event is simultaneous with the seventh of the trumpet judgments. So look at this from verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded. That's the seventh trumpet judgment. So the angel is sounding a trumpet at this exact time. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, notice the loud voices, the kingdom of the Lord has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And look at this. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Very interesting. You ready? Is there a trumpet? Yes. And what's the purpose? The purpose here is explicitly worship. And who's involved? The witnesses and the 24 elders who are in heaven. So let's score the mid-trib rapture. You'll have to keep going back up to your, to your grid, of course. Uh, let's score the mid-trib rapture based on what we just read in Revelation. And so, first of all, uh, is there a voice? Yes. But the question is, we don't know if the Lord's voice or an angel's voice or somebody else. So there's definitely a voice, yes. But it's not explicitly the Lord's voice, so we'll get a one there. Uh, we don't know for sure that's the shout of the Lord. And what's the purpose? Well, this one's really explicit. This is resurrection. This is a resurrection, right? The dead witnesses killed by the beast, and now they're raised to new life. Okay, so they get a two there. And is there a trumpet? Yep, absolutely. There's a trumpet. It's the seventh seal tr uh, 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 trumpet, uh, trumpet judgment that sounds. Um, so that gives us, that yes gives us a two. That yes gives us a two. And what's the purpose? Guess what? They're called together to join in worship. Worship. So just like, notice each time here, we're going back and comparing to the rapture standard and worship gets you a two, just like in the, in the rapture series. And then finally, uh, who's involved? Well, we know there are the probably Jewish witnesses, Jewish witnesses. We don't know for sure whether they are church or not, um, but it's a possible, uh, and we know there's the elders. So we don't know for sure whether these believers are part of the church, so we'll give their a one. 
So ready? Notice out of the mid-trib you get a 1, a 2, a 2, a 2, and a 1, which gives you an 8. So again, not, not perfect, but, but not bad. Uh, and again, unless you do the work, you're not going to be able to really have a meaningful biblical answer to the question of why, why, if I believe a timing view, why I believe it. That's why we're working through this. And, and now let's look at the pre-trib view. The reason we're working through all of these details is because the pre-trib advocates believe that this issue is a strength. Remember, that's the strength we're working on tonight. Look at, back at the top of your, of your first page. Notice strength number two that you wrote in. The pre-trib rapture view is supported by the best revelation picture of the rapture and makes perfect sense of the presence of the voice and the trumpet in the rapture passages. So let's evaluate whether that claim is true. Look at the text of the dramatic event that happened to the Apostle John before the beginning of the tribulation in Revelation chapter 6. So remember, in Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 is where you get the false peace treaty sign. That's the beginning of the tribulation. Chapters 11 through 13 give you the mid-trib rapture at the abomination of desolation when the beast finally becomes apparent. A bunch of stuff happens there. And chapter 19 is the second coming and is where post-trib uh, view believes it is. So notice, look at chapter 4 of Revelation. This is before or pre-trib because the trib begins in chapter 6. Ready? After these things, it's John speaking, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard, like the voice of a trumpet, speaking with me said, isn't this interesting, come up here. And I will show you what you must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. So he is caught up into heaven and the one, capital O, the one meaning God, sitting on the throne. And when John was caught up into heaven, look what was going on. Very interesting. From verse four, around the throne, there were 24 thrones. Upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads, and the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship, isn't that interesting, will worship him who lives forever and ever. So what's going on when John was caught up into heaven? He joined an incredible celestial worship service. So the purpose of this trumpet is to call God's people to worship. Very easy to unpack that one. And now we're ready to evaluate the strength of the pre-trib rapture. Ready? What Revelation 4 describes, you can look back through the text if you want to. Ready? Number one, write it in, a loud voice. Number two, a trumpet. Number three, John is caught up. Number four, he is with the Lord. And number five, he joins those in heaven in worship. Look at that rundown that happens right out of the text. Again, this is no apologetic. This is just right out of the text. There's a loud, vo there's a loud voice, a trumpet. John is caught up. He's with the Lord and he joins those in heaven in worship. So the pre-trib proponents maintain that this is identical to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 description of the rapture in both content and in the order of events. So let's do our own evaluation. Is there a voice? Yes. And what's the purpose? Well, is there a resurrection? Well, while there isn't an explicit resurrection, it's strongly inferred. Notice something with me. This is really cool. This is the way you have to pay attention to scripture. Um, when we come to the beginning of Revelation chapter 4, the last time we saw the Apostle John was back in chapter 1. Remember chapters 2 and 3, are the letters to the seven churches. So you get this incredible chapter one, and then you get this pause, if, it, if you will, for the letters to the seven churches, and now you pick up back in Revelation chapter four. So the last time we saw John was in Revelation one, and look what John was doing back in Revelation one, the last time we saw him. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He sees Jesus, of course. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. And then when I saw him, look at this, I fell at his feet as a dead man. So the next time 
there's any mention of the Apostle John is the beginning of chapter 4. And as we pick up, as far as we know, John may still be lying flat on his face as a dead man, having been so astonished by Jesus. And he's there at Christ's feet. And so now we're ready to score the pre-trib rapture view and see how closely it matches the actual rapture itself in sequence and content. Ready? So, pre-trib, is there a voice? Yes, and we know it's the Lord's voice. It's the, He's the one sitting on the throne. So you get a two there. And what is the purpose? Probably resurrection, right? We remember, we're, that's why I went back to chapter one and showed it's like John is like a dead man. <laughs> and then he gets, uh, he hears the Lord's, Lord's voice. So, so, but it's not explicit like it is for the mid-tribbers have that amazing the dead witnesses and they are, the trumpet sounds and they are, the, excuse me, the voice sounds and boom, they're, they are uh, resurrected. So we'll get a, you get a one there. Um, is there a trumpet? Yes, absolutely. I get a two for that. Um, and what is the purpose of the trumpet? Is it to call them to war? No, it's to call them to worship. That incredible picture of the elders that John now is joined around the throne. So it's for worship. And that gives you a two. Okay, and then finally, um, who are the players? Well, it's John, right? And notice, this is very explicit. John is a member of the church. This is written in 97 AD under Emperor Domitian from Patmos. So this is more than 60 years after the launching of the church. So John is a definitely a church member who has been caught up and is part of the picture. So, so definitely uh, there. Uh, and you also get the elders who are involved. Uh, and some, some people believe the 12 elders, theoretically, that they could be, uh, the apostles could be a part of the, that 24 and so forth, if that's the true. If that's true, of course, they were part of the church. Um, but in any case, you certainly get a two uh, here because John is explicitly a, a member of the church. And so notice, the voice in the rapture is the Lord's voice that brings about resurrection. A trumpet sounds for the purpose of worship, and it resurrects and raptures the, the church. And notice, you get a two, one, and the rest twos. So in the pre-trib rapture view, it's a nine. Not bad. So what I would say there is that that uh, I disagree that the, the proponents of the rapture say that it perfectly matches in every way. It doesn't, it doesn't get a 10, um, but it comes close. So notice, now, and again, we're obviously going to, this, this series is going to take several weeks at least because there are strengths and weaknesses of all, uh, and we'll be looking at it from uh, different perspectives. But um, having gone through this exercise of trying to figure out which rapture view best fits the end times passages, let me give you a summary of what we've learned. A summary of our grid that we've unpacked here. Ready? Key concept number one, determining rapture timing is complex. If you don't want to put in the word, uh, excuse me, the time in the word, then I, if I were you, I wouldn't even plan on having a belief about the timing of the rapture. It is complex, even for those who spend a lot of time looking at it. Key concept number two, ready? None of the views matches the rapture passages perfectly. None of them get it perfectly right in their revelation or revelation equivalent uh, uh, pictures. Key concept number three, in this specific analysis of the text, the pre-trib rapture view fares well. I would say even fares the best. Not perfect, but I think they're right that it's certainly a strength for the pre-trib rapture timing. Key concept number four, ready? At least in these passages, the word hasn't revealed enough detail to be absolutely sure of which timing view is best. Let me say that again. That may be frustrating to some, but I think it's true. At least in these passages, the word hasn't revealed enough detail to be absolutely sure of which timing view is best. And so, wow, I went through a lot of material there. Uh, you may have to go back and watch again, look back through your notes, and that's why I give you the text. It's easy there to get through them. Um, but as we always do, now we turn to our application.
Here's the blanks. The greatest power in the universe is the voice of God. Let me say that again. The greatest power in the universe is the voice of God. Think about the events where Jesus shouted. What happens when Jesus shouts? Death becomes life. The sting of the grave is conquered. The corpse breathes again. The dead stand up and walk. The lifeless one rises to join the living. You talk about a powerful voice. And this gives us key concept number one. Ready? Write it in with a word. With a word, God raises the dead. Number one, with a word, God raises the dead. Just think about that. Just think of it. God doesn't even have to raise a finger. You ready? God doesn't even have to raise a finger to raise someone from the dead. The word of God carries the power of the resurrection. He only has to speak it, and it is. But it is, has even more power than that. Look with me at parts of the creation text. Look at this from Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, there's the word, there's the voice. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Then God said, are we picking up on a pattern here? The word, the voice of God. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit in their, in their kind with seed in them, and it was so. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. Guess what? And it was so. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the heaven in the open expanse of the heavens. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things of the beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. This leads us to key concept number two. Remember, number one was with a word, God raises the dead. You ready for this? Number two, with a word, God creates everything from nothing. With a word, God creates everything from nothing. Since this is such a commonly read passage, it's easy to blow right through the staggering foundation that comes from Genesis chapter 1. Look at this. God didn't have any building materials to work with. Think about all of our experience in all of human history. Every other creative agent, no matter how creative they are, requires materials to do their creating with. But God didn't have anything to work with. And so, you ready? From a complete void and with a word, God created every bit of matter and every photon of light. Ready? From nothing. Every bit of matter and every photon of light from nothing. And next... Let's look at a spectacular passage that tells us what's coming soon when Jesus will split the eastern sky. You ready? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we request of you, brethren, with regard to, ready, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no, no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, right? The evil one, the Antichrist. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Then, you ready? Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. Listen to it again. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the, ready, the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That gives us key concept number three. You ready? 
with a word. Ready? Literally with a, a puff, just a breath. With a word, God will defeat the enemy. What an amazing God. And now as we finish, I want us to notice something else that's incredibly easy to miss. Even among those who understand the awesome power and majesty and sovereignty of God, this is so easy to miss. Notice something about the creation. Listen to me, church. There was nothing, and then God spoke, and then the universe burst into existence. Not even the non-existent nothing. You talk about the ultimate redundant phrase. You ready? There it is. Not even the non-existent nothing. That's right. Not even the non-existent nothing could stand against the power of the voice of God. Modern astrophysicists have, have proven that before the moment of the creation of the universe, not only was there no energy and no matter, but there was also, this boggles the mind, there was no time and there was no space. Let that sink in. There was no dimension of time, so an agent outside of time had to create, ready? Had to create time, because it didn't exist before that. And you ready? The three dimensions of the physical universe didn't exist. And what does that mean? It means that even if there had been matter, and if there, there would have been no place for anything to exist, before the moment of creation, because there was no space for the matter or the energy to exist in. Time didn't exist. Dimensions of space didn't exist. So while you're letting those impossible to comprehend thoughts percolate in your mind, listen to what happened. Listen to this. No energy, no matter, no time, no space. But then what happened? God spoke. What happened? The uncaused one, the one who exists unto himself, the one whose name is eternally I am, the first cause, ready? The first cause spoke a word. And now we're ready to use the biblical, to see the biblical power precepts. You ready? Power precept number one, write it in. Timelessness. Timelessness cannot stand against the word of God. Precept number two, the void of nothingness. Think about it. The void of nothingness cannot stand against the word of God. Number three, darkness cannot stand against the word of God because the Lord said, let there be light and boom, the darkness is overshadowed. Number four, Death cannot stand against the word of God. We heard it over and over. The shout at Bethany and boom, Lazarus is alive from the dead. And number five, write it in. Satan cannot stand against the word of God. Think about it in the text from 2 Thessalonians. He can't even stand against the breath, the puff of air from God. So watch and don't miss this. The void couldn't stand against God's voice. The non-existent couldn't remain uncreated when God spoke. The deceased cannot stay dead when God speaks. The corpse cannot stay lifeless when God speaks. The grave loses all its power over mortality when God speaks. The ashes and the decomposed bodies burst to life when? When God speaks. The great enemy of our souls cannot stand when God speaks. The forces of darkness, the powers of darkness cannot stay in power when God speaks. And coming soon, the devil of hell will be slain when? When God speaks. That's right. With the breath of his mouth, the father of lies will be conquered when God's voice speaks. Listen to the mind-boggling reality of the power of God's voice. The, the nothing vanishes in a word. The void is filled at his word. The darkness explodes into light at his word. The corpse stands up and walks at his word. 
and the great dragon, Satan himself, will be vanquished forever, guess what? At a word. But now, I want you to pay attention. I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's only one agent in all of creation that can stand against God's word. It's a great mystery. But for some reason, a reason so far beyond comprehension that the greatest philosophers remain humbled by this mystery. Are you ready? God, in all of his power, majesty, and sovereignty, has given humans, think about it, has given humans, have given you and me the ability to say no to God's word. Can you conceive of it? Now you know that in this series on the end times, we're learning about the day coming when every knee shall bow and every decision will be final and every choice will be over and the freedom to stand against the power of his word will be gone. And in that day, either willingly or unwillingly, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But because of God's great long-suffering and his patience and compassion and his mercy and his grace, that day hasn't come yet. In, think of it, in perhaps the greatest of all mysteries today, right now, God allows humans to stand in opposition to the power of his word. But that leads me to a question of the greatest import. And as we close tonight, let me ask this question of you. While you still have the freedom to choose to obey God's word or not, are you willingly using the freedom to say yes? Right now, I want us to look deep down inside and ask ourselves, is there any part of our life that's saying no to the voice of God? Are there any decisions in your life that say no to his will? Are there any choices you're making that you know are in opposition to his word, to his voice? So stop and listen. There's a day coming when the choice will be gone. And do not be deceived. In that day, your word will not stand. In that day, your way will not stand. In that day, your will will not stand. In that day, it will be too late to choose because the choice will be gone. For those who have not already willingly chosen, guess what? God's word. So tonight, will you listen to the voice of God? Will you listen to the word of God? Will you simply choose to love his will and his ways? Because now is the time to make that choice. Because, as you know, before the sun rises tomorrow, the thief in the night could come. And when that happens, the choice will be gone. So let me ask you, whose way will you follow tonight? Whose will will you follow tonight? Whose word will you follow tonight? Whose voice will you follow tonight?